This week on the Pro Wrestling Podcast, Podcast. Owen Hart returns to professional wrestling. Hulk Hogan's a piece of shit. Brian Danielson versus Kenny Omega in the huge week for AEW. And Adam Cole, baby! Where did the baby come from exactly? All this and more. I'm your host, Seth Grimes. And this is the Pro Wrestling Podcast Podcast. AEW had a huge week this week at Arthur Ashe Stadium in New York City. I always say it like that because of the salsa commercial when I was a kid. You guys remember the Pace Picante salsa commercial sauce? Uh, fucking commercial? Salsa sauce commercial? It's not even sauce. What the fuck am I talking about? Arthur Ashe Stadium held AEW Dynamite and Rampage this week, with which was a fucking huge pay-per-view level lineup. With a huge pay-per-view level crowd sold out, by all accounts, over 20,000 people. Check out this clip from the Busted Open radio show on SiriusXM, also the podcast, where Bully Ray lays it down. Here's the facts, folks. Check this out. Over 20,000 fans for AEW Dynamite, Bully, and... I, I really want to take a moment and say, you know, wow. The fact that in 2021, we're talking about over 20,000 fans in attendance for a show, not a pay-per-view, not a WrestleMania, but for a show outside the world of the WWE. This is something that we never thought we would see, Bully, if we had this conversation five years ago, four years ago even three years ago, and here we are having this conversation. So I think it's pretty cool that we could talk about a situation like the one that we're going to talk about this morning. Last night, I believe that AEW was able to put their flag firmly into the sand and say, we're here to stay, and there's nothing you can do about it. 20,000 people in New York City only coming to see AEW is a pretty big deal. This company is hot right now. This product is hot right now. They are, they are gaining steam. They are catching more and more fire. It's getting to be impossible to deny at this point. There are loyalists for WWE that just don't even want to hear about AEW. It's that piss ant promotion. Oh, God, everything they do, they're fucking this, they're that, they're trash, they're blah, blah, blah. I get that. And then there's AEW loyalists that hate the WWE. I wouldn't say I hate anything. I'm just not entertained by WWE much anymore. And AEW is increasingly entertaining people. And you can't deny that. Their ratings are going up. Like I said last week, they're... They're, they're, it's not meteoric. They're not overtaking everything, but they're just, they're inching their way. And sometimes they'll take a step back, 
but over the course of time they're going their line is trending up you know like you watch stocks or if you're into crypto you watch fucking bitcoin or eth fucking you know you watch that line the trajectory started at the bottom now we're here it's going up but along the way there'll be dips you know exploding barbed wire didn't blow up no crowds in the building then there'll be huge ups cm jesus christ punk they're at a point now where they're listen 20,000 people in new york city this is a big fucking deal the star power that they have that they're working with now this owen hart thing that we're gonna get to a little bit later on in the show here the just the trajectory you know, I said it before, this is 96 now. Last year was 95, Nitro 95. I heard, uh, oh God, it was one of these, I don't know, I listen to so much shit because I'm a podcast journalist and that's what I do. Um, but there was, somebody said in one of their interviews that this was like 1995 Nitro. And I said that last week, it was 1995 Nitro, but now we're getting into 96. Now the more star power, you know, the Hall and the Nash showed up. Now we're getting the NWO coming soon. Now we're just going to start printing fucking money. Now we're now we're at the point where AEW can coast on their momentum. If they wanted to, it would take them two years before they started to die. Just based on the hype train that they got going on now. But they keep delivering. And this hype train keeps going. And their ratings are going up. Their ticket sales are going up. And let me tell you, I've been to a live AEW shows at the Chicago and the United Center. These shows are fun to go to. They're funner than the WWE shows. WWE shows are very like, like you're going to the circus in a way. Like you're, you're there to watch the show and you can cheer and stuff. And they weren't always like that. But they've, they've become that. They're very like, sit, watch the show, cheer for your guy, yay, pop, whatever. But like that fun, like insane wrestling fan environment where people have weird signs and people are chanting and the guy dressed like the macho man's in the crowd doing the finger wave twirly thing. You see all that now in AEW. Remember like Hulk Hogan guy that stood in the front row for years? In WWE, like all the you know WrestleManias and stuff, you'd see him there. You don't see Hulk Hogan guy anymore. Maybe he got canceled too. Maybe you can't even dress like Hogan anymore. You'd be shamed publicly and should be. But maybe just maybe like wrestling WWE's fan base isn't fun anymore. And AEW's is. You go to that show, dude. The parking lot's rocking. The 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 inside, the vibe is there. Like these are diehard wrestling fans, and there are fewer of them than WWE fans, and that might always be the case. Maybe there are less true wrestling fans than there are sports entertainment fans. And WWE's had twenty years with no competition. And then they were around fucking 30, 40, 50 years before that. So to be just a little bit behind like they are right now, 
they're going to start to catch up to and pass. This trajectory is not going to just fall off a fucking cliff. It won't happen. This event, it's, they're here. They're here. They're now. This isn't even like, oh, they're, they're the future. They're working their way up. They got room to grow, but this, I mean, when you are doing 20,000 people plus in New York and you have the star power that they have on their roster right now, and then you're making deals just even on the side, you're bringing in like Owen Hart for fuck's sake. Man, they're winning. They're winning. And you can't deny that. You can hate on it. And you can say, oh, baby, 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 the Bucks, me. I get it, but you're kind of lying to yourself at this point. You really are. Brian Danielson made his in-ring debut with AEW this week against Kenny Omega in what will go down as one of the all-time great wrestling matches I know that this has been a dream match on many people's lists for a long, long time, including both Kenny Omega and Brian Danielson. Check out this clip of Brian talking with Brandon Walker over on Barstool Wrestling about wanting to work with Kenny Omega. Check this out. First, ask you tomorrow night you're going to be wrestling against Kenny Omega. How long have you been? Thinking about another match, a match with Kenny Omega. A, a long time. And so I had actually wrestled Kenny Omega in 2009. Right. And it was like he uh, hadn't made that much of a name for himself yet. But I, throughout my time in WWE, I constantly watch what's going on in other places. Right. I want to see how wrestling is evolving. I want to see what other people are doing, that sort of thing. And then when Kenny Omega really started busting through in New Japan, first in the juniors division and then in the heavyweight division, I was my mind started going like, oh man, right. this would be awesome. And that's actually the seed for the thought when I realized last week, this is the biggest match of my career. Yeah. Like this isn't, like I've main evented WrestleManias and all that kind of stuff, but this moment feels like the biggest match of my career. And now Danielson gets to work with Kenny Omega. They have this epic match on national television, free for everybody. And then they go Broadway. They go a full 30 minutes to a draw. Time limit expires. The fans boo, but they didn't boo. They weren't mad at the booking. They were mad at the at the storyline, right? Like, they want the finish. So now they're eager for more, and that was the point. It wasn't like, oh, fuck you guys for doing the stupid finish. It was, Fuck. I want to see a finish to this. So now I have to see more. Now I'm going to buy the next show that these guys are on. And with AEW, you never know how they're going to tell this story. Danielson doesn't have the win-loss record to really justify a title shot at this point. And Kenny Omega's gone online and said he's not getting a rematch. So, of course, we're going to get a rematch between these two. But is it going to be immediate, like the next pay-per-view? Or is it going to be somewhere down the line? A year from now, we come back to it. And Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson's been on a tear in AEW. And he's earned this title shot. And now Kenny Omega's fucked. Or maybe Kenny's not the champion, you know, by the time it comes around again. And they can just have the match without having to worry about the title. 
lots of options. I trust that they're going to do a good job with it. I trust that they know the direction that they want to go and that uh you know we'll all it'll it'll all pay off and we'll all be happy in the end cuz who doesn't love just great wrestling and that match on AEW Dynamite was just great wrestling. You know it was really interesting to listen to this interview with Brian Danielson because he had all these little inside tidbits about uh the way things that are are, are going right now for him and his future plans with AEW and one of the things he talks about is seeing CM Punk's debut and seeing how Punk was talking after the debut and the post show and such in in interviews later where he's here to help the other guys he wants to be the good guy that helps bring up the next crop of talent and help them out backstage and you know can I still go and that sort of thing and Brian Danielson's like, well, I can't be the same thing because I think that's kind of what he had in mind. So he, now I'm going to be the guy that wants to not help anybody. I want to go there and kick them all in the face. And he's had that edge to him since he's came back to, since he's debuted with AEW. I shouldn't say came back, but he's had more of a mean streak. He almost even talks like a heel, but. It's Brian Danielson, right? So you can't possibly look at him like a heel at all. Uh, he talks about all kinds of other things. This uh, Brandon Walker does great interviews. He had a couple really big gets. He had this one here with Brian Danielson. Uh, and now uh, he also had the chance to interview CM Punk. Uh, they were obviously, everybody was in New York for this big show and... Check out this clip from his interview with CM Punk, where Punk never won to uh, be afraid of a little controversy, or never won to be afraid to stir the shit up a little bit. Check out this clip. Um, me, you, there's always been people who have gotten to a certain level, right. and they're almost taught and the culture is fostered for them to believe that they need to make sure nobody else mm -hmm gets to that level they don't want anybody to quote unquote steal their spot um me you throwing me but throwing my name in the hat with somebody like steve austin who arguably biggest star business has ever seen right easily a lot of this is subjective though right like you can make the argument like oh no well hulk hogan's a bigger star than steve austin but then you start then you then you look at business periods and eras and right. box office receipts and like all that other stuff. Um, I think Hogan's a piece of shit. So obviously I'm going to be like Steve Austin. Yay. Right. But um, that's it. That's another podcast. That's right. We got CM Punk back in the wrestling business. CM Jesus Christ Punk. And he's talking shit, calling Hulk Hogan a piece of shit. I love it. I fucking love it. Cause Hulk Hogan is a piece of shit by all accounts. Right. So for CM Punk to call him a piece of shit, that's great. It's fun. But it's that that taste of that edgy CM Punk. You know, Punk just doesn't give a shit. He never has. He's always been outspoken. He's always been opinionated. And he is somewhat of a dick. Can be. Now he's playing Mr. Humble and Mr. Nice Guy, and I believe that. I'm not saying he's pretending or anything like that, but... 
he has it in him to just fucking destroy people. We've seen it time and time and time and time again. It's one of the things that we love about punk. And it's not something that he's doing right now, but it will be something that he'll eventually end up getting to. You know, he said in his promo on Dynamite, uh, you know, people want me to be angry CM Punk. Or have a chip on my shoulder. Be a heel, essentially. Be bad guy. And he's like, well, you know, be careful what you wish for. Because someday you're probably going to get that. And you're going to regret it. I was looking at this promo. And, and Punk's gotten universal praise for his promo on Dynamite. And, and in my opinion... I feel like being just the happy-go-lucky baby face that's happy to be there on the reunion tour, so to speak, it's not working for him. And this is CM Jesus Christ Punk. I love CM Jesus Christ Punk. He's one of my heroes. Um, But at some point, he's got to... I think he's just a natural heel. At some point, he's got to rub up against somebody the wrong way and then just be a fucking dick. Because I think eventually that's that's where we're going to end up. And But right now it's fine. You know, as long as he... I mean, I have full faith that he's not a one-trick pony in this little Love Fest reunion tour, uh, you know, as Taz put it, with the Love Fest. Eventually, yeah, that'll come around and things will change. But for right now, it's fine as long as it transitions and, you know, gives Punk a chance to work with the guys on the undercard. But, yeah, I'm excited to see some shit. And, you know, both these interviews with Barstool, you know, great. Again, Brandon Walker, great job. Um, Both these guys, Punk and Brian, say the same thing. They want to work with these guys in AEW. There is unlimited. And especially if you're a guy like Punk, you know, Brian's starting at the top uh, working with Kenny Omega, the champion. But and then you got Punk in the opposite direction. He's working with Will Hobbs, and that's by choice. You know there are people that are like, "Why the fuck is he working with Will Hobbs?" Because CM Punk wants to. That's why. And you could criticize that, but don't criticize the booking. Like, well, they don't know how to use Punk. He should be in the main event. Um, you know he'll get there. He'll be in the main event. But this is his game plan. I want to come back in and I want to work with a lot of these young guys. And he doesn't need to be in the main event. And he can start at the bottom of the roster and be humble like that. He'll get there. He's going to be around unless he gets, you know, severely injured somehow, some way. You know, time will tell on that. And same with uh, Brian Danielson, you know. He's been injury prone. Hopefully we see a nice, solid, incredible run out of both of these guys before, you know, age and time and injuries takes their toll but uh, I do believe this will be their probably their last runs. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if Danielson had a one more run in WWE after because he seems pretty, pretty still in love with them. He's just more excited by AEW right now. I don't remember if it was Punk or or Danielson that said in in their interview where they're like, "We're just excited to play with our new toys that we have right now," and that's really how they're looking at it. They're just like, "Ooh, that looks like fun," because they're wrestlers. And, and Punk talked about in his, uh, the wrestling is, you know, when he wasn't, you know, burying Hulk Hogan, he, <laughs> he was talking about how wrestling is art to him. And, you know, Will Hobbs is a different paintbrush or a different 
type of paint, you know, there's oil paints, there's watercolor, there's, you know, thick brushes, little tiny ones, you know, whatever the fuck they use. Uh, so that's how he's kind of describing it. And, you know, a Hobbs is a different from a Darby is different from a Brian Danielson. And he wants to work with all of these people. And, and we're going to get to see all that. And it's going to be super exciting. I'm fucking here for it. I love great wrestling matches. And I love great exciting characters and stories along with it. So I'm game. Let's see what we got. And uh, go out of your way to check out Barstool Wrestling's interviews that they've been doing. They got a lot of great content in general. They've got one with Tony Khan a couple weeks ago, I believe. Um, just lots of good, solid interviews, fun interviews, different types of questions, that kind of thing. But man, to nail Brian Danielson and CM Punk back to back like that, just boom, boom. Here's our fucking, just slap them out there. These kind of interviews had to take a look, had to cover them here on the show. So you have to go check them out yourself. Owen Hart is back in the pro wrestling business. Check this out. AW and the Owen Hart Foundation announced a new partnership on Monday, which will include the creation of the Owen Hart Cup Tournament. The collaboration will also include production and distribution of unique and original Owen Hart merchandise, like action figures, apparel, posters, and other collectibles, and inclusion in the upcoming AW console video game. The tournament will see the creation of a cup they are calling the Owen Created in 2000 and run by Owen's wife, Martha, the nonprofit foundation provides global aid to at-risk communities with scholarships, housing, food drives, backpack giveaways, and more. Owen Hart, then 34, killed during an accident after being dropped into the ring while in a harness at the then WWF Over the Edge pay-per-view in May 1999. Martha later sued WWF, settled out of court for $18 million. AW's relationship with the Hart family dates back to our inaugural pay-per-view, Double or Nothing, in 2019, and Owen's influence is still felt today. To extend his memory and his legacy even further through this agreement is a powerful and meaningful moment for the entire wrestling community, said Tony. Martha said, The Owen Hart Foundation extremely pleased to partner with AEW in this wonderful joint venture to honor Owen's substantial international wrestling career and the lasting influence he and, his, uh, he and his craft have had on the sport. AW's Owen Hart Cup Tournament serves as a tremendous tribute to Owen, provides an incredible way for pro wrestling enthusiasts to celebrate his work in the most fitting way. We trust that Tony Khan and his amazing AEW team will do a brilliant job with this highly anticipated project. So there you go. What fantastic fucking news, right? Like, we all love Owen Hart. Anybody that was around back then, if you're new to wrestling, and he's just, he's obviously a guy you've probably heard of for obvious reasons, um, and you've probably even heard, like, his wrestling was really great, high quality, but to really have lived through Owen, like... When Owen was the Blue Blazer, he was athletic, he was fun to watch, but he was the Blue Blazer. Both when he started and came in, and I didn't watch the Calgary stuff or anything like that. So I'm talking strict WWE run. He came in as the Blue, Bra Blue Blazer back in like the 80s, late 80s, and he was okay. But he was exciting to watch, but he was obviously an undercard character. 
Then when he switched to Owen Hart, he still had a little bit of a rocky patch. He was teaming with Coco Beware. He was teaming with the Anvil. And they were wearing, like, checkers and, like, neon and, like, hammer pants. And it was a weird time in the early 90s. Don't judge it, okay? If you were around in the early 90s, you were wearing hammer pants, too. Just like if you were around in the late 90s, you were wearing Jinkos. It's just the shit you did. Like fucking bell bottoms in the 70s or whatever. And fucking skin tight ball huggers in the 80s and kind of the nowadays too. Are we past the ball hugger jeans era? You know, the chick jeans, the girl pants. Are we? I don't see a lot of guys wearing the tight skinny jeans. That's what they're called. I don't see guys wearing skinny jeans a lot anymore. Is that still a thing? But if you were around in the early 90s, you were wearing hammer pants. And that's what Owen Hart did. So he was kind of floundering a little bit. But then they struck gold when they found this storyline that started with Owen starting to get a little bit fed up with his brother Brett always getting the spotlight. And I think I'm better than my brother Brett. And they did this really great slow burn storyline. This is, in my opinion, if I'm going to tell... I'm going to make a list of the top 10 greatest storyline angles. Maybe not in professional wrestling ever, but probably WWE. I think there's probably room on that list somewhere for Brett versus Owen. It was so great. They started tag teaming together. And then they would do just little subtle things where Brett would just... Maybe overshadow Owen just a little bit, and Owen would maybe look at him a certain way. And he was starting to get fed up, and you could see that there was tension there. And I think Brett even got shoved by Owen. It was the Survivor Series. So they're having this Hart family against Shawn Michaels and his fucking his hooded people. I think it was supposed to be Jerry the King Lawler at some point, and then something happened to Lawler. Maybe it was that toe fungus he had from the Kiss My Foot match thing. But... He had to drop out, and Michaels had, like, these knights. The king and his knights was the gimmick, right? So he had these masked knights. And it was Brett, and it was Owen, and their other two brothers. I don't know if Bruce was involved. I, who cares? But anyway, they had this match, and during the match, Owen gets knocked off the rail by Brett. And Owen ended up, because of that, being the only one of the four Hart brothers that was pinned from the entire team. And when the Hearts were celebrating the win at the end, Owen came in and he pushed his brother Brett. He was mad. I'm mad. You fucking knocked me off the ring, into the railing. You're the reason why I got pinned in this match. But they smoothed it out. Right? They talked it out. They're brothers. Blood's thicker than water, all that stuff. They worked it out, and they're going to be a tag team, and they're going to challenge the Quebecers at the Royal Rumble for the tag team titles. And in that match, Owen turns on Brett. He kicked his leg out from under his leg, right? And Owen was fed up. I'm sick of you, Brett. Always stealing my spotlight. I'm the best heart. I'm the king of hearts. And that led to a match at Wrestle-fucking-mania. And this was the match that opened Wrestlemania 10. And this is one of the greatest in-ring technical 
match masterpieces in WrestleMania history. Bret the Hitman Hart versus his brother, the King of Hearts, Owen Hart. And Owen beats Bret. And he didn't cheat. He didn't pull the tights. He didn't kick him in the nuts. He didn't use a foreign object. He pinned Bret. One, two, three. Now, part of the story was that Bret didn't have his heart into it. He wasn't out there to beat the shit out of Owen. He was out there to just have a good little exhibition so to speak and owen was out there to beat his brother brett and he did it clean in the ring smooth as a baby one two three better than my brother i did it yes 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 then later on in the night because of the goofy double royal rumble win with brett and lex luger brett had to wrestle for the title that later that night against yokozuna in the main event the last match first match then the last match Wrestles for the title, wins the title, and every babyface comes out and celebrates Brett as the best, the champion, the leader of the locker room. And there's Owen standing in the entranceway, shaking his head, knowing that he's better than the fucking WWF champion. God, what a story. And they went on to have classic matches, a classic feud that went through the Survivor Series into a cage match, which is regarded as one of the best cage matches in WWF history. I'm telling you guys, Owen Hart, that was his greatest run, but he had more great shit. He was the two-time Slammy Award winner. He was a great tag team with Yokozuna. I thought that was really powerful as well, him and Yoko. That was a really good tag team. When I was a kid, Like that was like, I was like, oh, shit. It's on now. These guys are are legit. And, you know, he kind of started to wane for me towards the Attitude Era when he started wearing, like, the caution tape gear, the red, the yellow and black. I was starting to kind of lose it for him again. Obviously still a great wrestler, but... It, it, and I'm skipping over the, the reunion of the Hart Foundation and the fucking Canadian Stampede and... Fantastic run all the way up through there. It was when, after Brett left, I guess, is when Owen, I think, started to slow for me. And then, of course, you know, there's a tragic ending there. But all of this to say is that Owen has not existed in the wrestling business ever since that tragic incident. And rightfully so. I get why Martha didn't want anything to do with it. And we've heard that other side of the story because we've heard for 20 years that Martha just was refusing it and we were missing out on our Owen because of Martha. We wanted him in the Hall of Fame. We wanted him to be in video games. We wanted his action figures. But Martha was like, fuck you. But rightfully so. But as we know now, this was not a beef with Owen being involved with the wrestling business. This was a beef with Owen being involved with WWE. That's the evil corporation. She wanted nothing to do with it. She's told her side of the story. She's on record. And she has now, you know, she's dipped her toe in. She's done a few wrestling podcasts. She did the pro wrestling tease deal. Now we get AEW coming through with what is essentially a legends deal, but will also help promote Owen's charity. So it's going to be a fundraiser for Owen's charity as well as a Legends deal for Owen. It's a great 
symbiotic relationship between the two. And, and it's really what we need as wrestling fans. You know, first, AEW needs landmark legends of their own. You know, when they're putting out a video game, for example, and now this video game is going to have CM Punk, it's going to have Brian Danielson, and it's even going to have legends like Owen Hart. What other legends are they going to get for that? DDP, I would imagine, is probably a lock for that. But to bring Owen on, now you're going to do shirt deals. You're going to do action figures. Owen's back just essentially like a Legends deal. He's going to be around now. The Owen Cup, his name is going to get dropped. He's going to be a part of wrestling history all over again. And he gets to be a part of AEW's wrestling history. And AEW needs history that they can kind of, they, they need those legends. You know, they want, the, they need their own legends. And Owen can be their legend, even though Owen never stepped foot in their ring, obviously. They can be the keepers of his history, the caretakers of his legacy. And I'm excited for that. So I got a chance to dive into that Heels show on Stars, the one with Stephen Amell, the wrestling show where they're like a family of uh, wrestling promoters on the indie scene. I think I want to do... Obviously, I haven't uh, been able, as of yet, anyway, to do like an episode by episode. I probably won't do that, but I'll probably do like a series review more in-depth as its own video in the reviews section because I want to start getting more kind of different content out there besides the podcast. You know, I'm working on it. We're working on it. We got shit going. Uh, You know, Jack... Stephen Amell's character is actually the guy who's running the company. Uh, not necessarily his brother Ace, but his brother Ace. They're both in the promotion, you know. Um, there's this lady named Willie who helps run shit backstage. She's like the mom of the crew, basically. And she helps, you know, make sure everything's being run tight. But so it kind of just follows these characters and their family drama issues as any TV show would, but in the setting of their business is the wrestling business, the independent wrestling business at that. Uh, They always allude to the North and to the big show and, uh, you know, like a WWE exists. They've name-dropped Vince McMahon by name. They name-dropped a match between Sting and Ric Flair. So this exists in our real world but yet they don't refer to probably for obvious reasons they can't refer to the wwe Um, but there is a character that works for the wwe quote unquote you know the stand-in which is just up north or the big whatever the fuck right they don't actually label it but they don't call it anything else either it's just alluding to you we all know that this is the big promotion right the big leagues and it starts a little slow i gotta tell you like some of the bad things the theme songs annoying as fuck like the the song that starts at the show the the show in the intro it's dumb the intro looks cheesy this is written uh by the guy who wrote the loki series on disney plus who i believe is also involved in writing uh one of the, uh, I don't know if it was Spider-Man, probably not Spider-Man, but he's involved in writing some Marvel movie projects as well. And 
This was it Doctor Strange? It might have been Doctor Strange because I was thinking Raimi, but I think Raimi's just directing the Doctor Strange. Anyway, that's other shit. We're talking about wrestling, not fucking movies. So, anyway. So it was supposedly written by this writer who's a very good writer. But to me, like, the writing's kind of generic. It's so-so. It's basic. It's like every other family drama show. Um, you know, I, th- I think some of the women characters are one-dimensional. They're all very supportive and loving and just always there and, you know, that kind of thing. And it's, I don't think those... I don't want to say those women don't exist, but you know what I'm saying? Like, they're so just get along with everything. Just whatever you like, Jack. Um, Jack's a mean motherfucker. His brother, Ace. I don't know. I'm not going to give away spoilers, I guess. Uh, You know, and I won't spend too much time on this because some of you probably just don't even care. Um, But it's starting to get good. So they do a lot of cheesy things. Uh, There's a rival indie federation also in there. That they're beefing with, and and they when they show clips of this, they show clips of TNA, like old TNA, like with Abyss and and that kind of shit. The guy that uh, coughed up blood, uh, the purple guy. Um, anyway, like so they do weird stuff like that, and it just some of the stuff. Uh, like the finishes in some of these, I think, you know, the finishes in some of the matches they show are designed to tell the stories of the behind the scenes shit. But, you know, just without giving things away, I'm talking very generically here. But some of the finishes to the matches are like, this federation would be dead by now. Like you killed the territory in every episode, basically, but they don't because it's got to keep going. Um, but it's starting to pick up. Episode 5, there's a character that's, I mean, in, in CM Punk's in Episode 3, and he did great. He was just, like, a vet that came in to, like, pop territory for, you know, for a payday. And he was just kind of like a trailer park-ish kind of wrestler. Um, but, like, he wasn't, like, weird or sleazy or anything. He was just kind of like a, just a trailer park greasy vet, you know? But then, uh... By episode five, the guy that used to work for the WWE is like a Michael Hayes character. would be the best way I can describe him. Very Michael Hayes-esque. You know, he's an older guy that was supposedly just working on the corporate side. He came down. He's scouting talent, that kind of thing. And he ends up kind of taking on uh, the spotlight for the show, really. He starts to kind of shine through and really bring everything up. And because uh, the drama's fine and in in whatever the fuck, but this guy brings like the excitement, you know. Like if you're talking with the Spade brothers, Jack and Ace, and their wives and that girlfriends and shit like that, it's drama, which is fine. But you gotta have other shit. And this Michael Hayes character really brings in like the comedy and like the holy shits and the. Okay, like, this is interesting, you know, so you got to kind of balance that out. And I don't think that really came through till it's starting to come through through with this character. So it's a slow burn. So if you are going to watch it uh, and you're on the fence, you know, uh, you got to give it time. You got to kind of dedicate yourself to it because you are not going to watch the first episode and be like, oh, my God, I'm hooked on this. I need more of this in my life. You know, I watch it for you guys. I watch it because I'm a wrestling fan. And that's just what we do is we subject ourselves to the to the worst of things that no normal sane person would ever do to themselves. And we do it gladly for our love of wrestling. Right. So 
that's where I'm at on heels, but uh, I'll update you. Like I said, I'll do a full series review, but uh, if it gets better than this, I'll update you. You know, if there's anything exciting, like, oh my God, I changed my mind. You guys got to, you know, I'll talk about it again. Otherwise, fuck it. Adam Cole, baby, made the rounds this week on the podcast scene. First in uh, oral sessions with Renee Paquette. And then uh, later on, talk is Jericho. Let's dig into a little bit of Adam Cole here uh, in this particular clip. Both interviews are worth listening to. By the way, there is some crossover content, obviously. Um, You know, they're both going to ask, you know, about NXT, about leaving WWE, about going to AEW, the excitement, the return, blah, 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 blah. All of that was covered on both shows. Um, so there's a little bit of redundancy, but they do kind of pick at different things and there are some, you know, fun stories on each side. So starting with the oral sessions podcast with Renee Paquette, we'll kind of dive into Adam Cole's thoughts on if he was scared to go up to the main roster, if there was a little bit of worry about, you know, they're changing people's looks, they're changing people's names. There's this rumor that Adam Cole is going to be the manager for Keith Lee and they're going to change his name because there's already Michael Cole and they don't want you people to think that that's his nephew. Check out this clip. What was um sort of the sentiment, I guess, I mean, not as a generality, but like for you and you specifically of that feeling of like, okay, I'm waiting to be called up to the main roster, going to go to Raw or SmackDown. Was there that hesitation of like, shit, do I even want to do that? I mean, you hear these kind of like, you know, I like use the term horror stories of like people being brought up and their character gets changed, their music gets changed, their gear gets changed. And Vince just has a different idea for what somebody is versus what Hunter has been able to nurture at NXT. Were you nervous of getting that phone call? For sure. But that's not to say that I didn't want to do that and experience it. I want to be able to look back on my career and say that I uh, you know, accomplished or did everything that I wanted to. And again, like even I had a really short stint where I was getting the chance to work on SmackDown and work on Raw. And I got to do the match at Survivor Series. And all of those were very positive experiences as well. It was all crazy. And that's a whole other story with the whole last minute thing. Oh, we'll get into that because that was insane. That was bonkers. <laughs> all of it was very positive. But yeah, there, there certainly was a fear. And it's not because of anything other than the fact that I feel like I had known so many people who had gotten upset or stressed out by situations they were thrown into, which again, I'm like that annoyingly optimistic person that like uh, finds the positive in everything. Uh, But yeah, that was a concern. Adam Cole would have made the biggest mistake of his life going to WWE's main roster. They never would have, they don't get it anymore. I'm trying to tell you people, They don't get it anymore. There's bound to be somebody listening that's like, well, Adam Cole is skinny and small and he's not believable and he should just be a manager. And, you know, like if this was 1984, I 100% agree with you. But in this day and age, like, look, when you see the UFC has the biggest stars in its entire history are like lightweights like Conor McGregor case closed Ronda Rousey. You can have women be the biggest star ever Ronda Rousey Floyd Mayweather. Look how small that motherfucker is. Who else is there in boxing right now? 
Don't even fucking say any of the Paul brothers. I'll slap the shit out of your mouth. Don't even go there. So I'm telling you that Adam Colbay Bay is legit as fuck, regardless of his size. And he needs to go to a place where he can have legit as fuck wrestling matches. And to be quite frank, AEW, you know, Cody said it on TV before, they're a light heavyweight company. Their guys are smaller as it is. So when you get Adam Cole in the ring with Darby Allin, when you get him in there even with Orange Cassidy, even with CM Punk, who's a tall guy but kind of skinny, all of these combinations, Adam Cole's going to get in there and he's going to shine and he's going to hang and he's going to kick ass, take names, and he's going to be Adam Cole Bay Bay. He's going to get to hang out with his friends and do the fun, goofy, stupid, elite shit that's probably going to make a lot of people on the internet go, oh, they're ruining Adam Cole if he's doing that stuff, it's because he wants to do that stuff. And then you could say, well, some dumbass promoter, green as fuck, doesn't know how to... Of course, I'm imitating... I'm I'm being... I'm channeling Jim Cornette here. You know, saying that, you know, the promoter's letting these guys do whatever the fuck they want. Wrestling is art. as, As CM Punk said earlier. This is this is art. This is a canvas. As an entertainer, as a content creator, as a as a artist, you have to be able to create. You have to be able to love your job and have fun with it too. So allowing these guys to hang out with their friends and be goofy and come up with funny storylines that amuse them and that if it doesn't scare the fans away completely, it fills that niche of that that kind of segment. That the that's what the elite are, and if that's what Adam Cole wants to do, he's gonna back it up with amazing wrestling matches, just like the Young Bucks do. So it is what it is. I'm fucking excited to see it. Adam Cole's just starting, and and seeing him mix it up with the AEW roster, it's gonna be a no brainer. Compared to what he would have been doing on the WWE roster. We all fucking know it. We all know it. Adam Cole was also on Chris Jericho's podcast. And he told the same story. And Jericho got a little edgier with it. And kind of pushed and stuff. But I wanted to squeeze Renee's podcast in here too. And kind of get a clip of both. So I'm not going to double dip with Jericho. Because the other interesting clip from the Jericho podcast. Was this. The origin of Bay Bay. This was intriguing. Check this out. Not just saying this because you're sitting here, uh-huh. but you absolutely are someone that I really, really hope when I get to work with someday. Yeah. Um, again, I don't know if, if people know this, but uh, the Adam Cole Bebe is very much influenced by by Chris Jericho. Really? Yeah, yeah. So uh, really? when, when you... When you used to stand on someone and go, come on, baby, <laughs> I was like, oh, that's great. And, and then the other person who was involved was uh, Joey Matthews or Joey Mercury. Yeah. Is I saw him at an independent show, and, and at one point, he was just walking around, and he would throw his fist in the air, and he would go, Joey Matthews, Joey Matthews. And I was like, that's so smart for anyone who's like not really a wrestling fan. Right. The one name they're going to remember is Joey right. Matthews. So I kind of combined the two, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, man, like I said, like we got the fill between oral sessions and talk as Jericho. We got the full story, and Jericho did a great job of prying deeper, and he did a lot of, you won't say it, but I'll go ahead and say it, 
NXT fucked up. They suck. They lost. They this. They that. Vince this. Vince that. Main roster wouldn't have worked. And Adam Cole, just the kindest, sweetest man ever, um, that pretends to be like a dirty bad guy, you know. But so nice. Just didn't want to say anything bad, and probably had nothing bad to say. But he didn't deny the rumor. The rumor was brought up about Keith Lee being the manager, changing the name. Cole kind of chuckled and said, yeah, you know, like he didn't necessarily agree with it, but he did not agree with it. And that was enough confirmation for what I needed. You know, he was complimentary of his conversation with Vince. Loves Hunter and Sean. Poor Hunter. No wonder why his heart broke, you know, like poor Hunter's losing all these guys. That I mean, this was this was Hunter's vision. He saw what he saw what everybody else sees in Adam Cole. But Adam Cole, baby, on the main roster just <laughs> they would have killed Adam Cole. Like they killed Keith Lee, like they killed Carrie and Cross. And come on, guys, like don't argue with me on this. Like you're lying to yourself. Look at Alistair Black. Look at a guy like Alistair Black, now Malachi Black. Look at the difference of how they're using people. It's incredible. It's incredible. But he got the Bay Bay from Chris Jericho. That's insane. That's insane. That's Those are the little tidbits that make my job fun. Learning these little fun things like this. But anyways, moving on. Bay Bay. In what seems like a fucking lifetime ago in this wrestling world that we live in nowadays... Big E was on the Sam Roberts podcast talking with Sam about his big WWE championship win. We touched on it here last week. Fucking amazing. Check out this clip. A year ago when you were on Talking Smack talking to The Miz about not having to change and be serious man now and and not joke around and okay, now you've got to take me seriously as a singles competitor. It's like, no, I think I'm going to continue to do what brought me here on a higher level. Um, and I feel like that that is where you really called your shot. Yeah, no, completely, man. And that's important to me. And that's a lesson that I learned with the New Day because we had the same pressures to change, to be more serious, to to fit in a certain mold. And we just didn't want to. We, we simply were stubborn <laughs> about it. And we, we just believe so much in our chemistry, in the three of us, in our talent. I was just extremely fortunate and blessed to be with two other guys who I think are incredible. On the mic, in the ring, who can do so many things, even outside of wrestling, and are just tremendous human beings. And that taught me a real lesson in this business, that even though there is a certain formula or a certain mold, that you can do things in a way that feel authentic and genuine and unique to you. Because in my mind, we didn't need another guy who comes out wearing all black, who's brooding and and like comes out to, to heavy metal or, or whatever, like scary, dark thing is. And there's so many awesome characters. That's not me judging. There's so many people who do that and kill it. That's not me. I think I think a big part of success in wrestling is finding where the void is, finding what people aren't doing and finding what it is that you can do and that you're good at that can fill a certain niche or a certain void. And as much as I think there are people who will be bigger than me, who'll be stronger than me, who'll be taller than me, maybe better talkers than me, but I don't think respectfully without me being too arrogant, I don't think there's someone who can just simply replace me. Big E, I had to come back and put it over again. 
Biggie making the podcast rounds now, talking about the championship win. He's got a picture he posted where he's at the barbershop getting all done up and stuff with the razor. And he's got the belt, holding the belt in the chair. I love that the New Day, this is the second run that the New Day is getting with the WWE title now. Uh, Kofi's was kind of a, Kofi's didn't work out too well. And I wasn't too happy about the way that that came to an end. I hope Big E just takes it and fucking runs. Big E is the type of guy where I really think they can. Uh, he's not going to be the main draw of the company, but he can be the B-show draw of the company. He's easily up to Bobby Lashley's standard, and Lashley had a hell of a fucking run. So give Big E a hell of a fucking run. Just let him go. See what he can do. I'm happy for the new day. I'm excited for the new day. Uh, they're just, they're one of my favorites. Not always so much even in the ring, just as people, as personalities. You know, I think I said on the pod before I get, was when I gave their podcast a chance where I really got to know more of them in depth. And you know what? I don't even have time to, I, I haven't found the time yet to really watch much of Up, Up, Down, Down, which I know is a fucking sin, especially in my line of business here as a podcast journalist in the world of professional wrestling. So I should be up on that kind of shit, and I'm not, and I'm sorry, and I love you. Don't hate me. But Big E, man, your WWE champion, I love it. I, it's, it's Whether it was a hot shot or not, it is the right direction to go. Let's, let's give it to him. Let's have Big E go to WrestleMania as the WWE champion. Let's do that. Against who? I don't fucking know. I'm not here to answer those kind of questions. That's a that's a deep, deep question. Because honestly, like we all wanted to see Brock versus Lashley, right? And that would have made more sense as a title match, I think. But clearly they're going a different direction now. So how they're going to end up doing that, I, I don't know. Where they're going to go. Who's a, I don't even know who matches up. Who's a good heel for Biggie? Um, time will tell what they do with it, but I'm happy he's there. I'm happy he gets to call himself a WWE champion. Jim Ross was on his podcast this week ranting about them young kids doing all them flippy floppies. Not really, but kind of. Check this out. My, only, my issue, I'm not mad at the guys that take all the unnecessary chances. You know, uh, I thought I'll give you an example that cage match we had here a while back at all out was, uh, with between the bucks and the Lucha brothers. Yeah. Unbelievable. 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 And, uh, it was a, a testament to their courage and their passion. I thought it was about as, as good as anything I'd seen in years. And for that environment, it was a spot thing in a cage. And I've never seen one even come close to being as good as that. So I'm very high on the talents. My only fear is that they're going to hurt themselves by taking those low, those margin for error situations that are a thin line between it looks great and it, and it, and it feels good or, uh, oh, there's a busted or there's a cheekbone or a broken nose or teeth gone or whatever. That age-old thing, do guys take too many risks? Do they need to take those kind of risks? Do fans want to see wrestling matches anymore? I say yes and no. 
I say wrestling needs to be a variety pack. It needs to be a buffet. There's guys and there's fans and there's people out there listening to this. Those of you that want one type of wrestling. You know, if you're Jim Cornette, you want it to be like the early 1980s NWA. You know, you want just good old-fashioned serious wrestling where everybody's a tough guy and everybody pretends it's real and and everything's, you know, it's wrestling. So there's people that like that. There's people that like just deathmatch wrestling, you know, uh, and, and that's all they really care about is the diehard deathmatch stuff. I'm of the opinion that wrestling works best when you can put on a show that has a deathmatch next to a wrestling clinic of a fucking tag team match to you name it. You know, the high flyer, flippy floppy guys, the guys that can just fucking chain wrestle and throw submission holds on each other and twist each other into pretzels. When I was a kid, like, Bret Hart's my dude, you know? Like, I don't know, you know, CM Punk's obviously, like, probably my favorite now at this point of all time ever. But as a kid, like, I really clung to Bret Hart. And it was, I think I've said this on the cast before, that, with Brett was the first time I really noticed work rate. I really noticed what wrestling moves were. As a young kid, it was characters. It was Macho Man, the Warrior, shit like that, Jake the Snake. But as I kind of grew, even, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, Brett the Hitman Hart was out there just wrestling circles around people. And you see how crisp his delivery. They call him the excellence of execution because his moves were so precise. He nailed them like a fucking thing of beauty. Well, my favorite, one of my favorite fucking things he ever did was was his fucking backbreaker, just fucking boom on the knee, just just it had like that perfect like bend and snap and bounce and just. He's so fucking, his sharpshooter, you know, Stinger's always kind of lazy in the legs. Like, Brett's, the sharpshooter looks crisp as fuck. It's locked tight. It's got the, like, the deep angles to it. He really sets it in. Uh, Just good shit, you know. And and that's kind of, if we're going to pinpoint what I like best, you know, it's the technical stuff. I like seeing guys... You know, I like I like a Pete Dunn. I like the kind of shit that he can do in the ring. I like that. But <clears throat> wrestling should have the flippy flop. It should have a Dante Martin that can just float over the top rope in slow motion like that. It should have a Lucha Brothers Young Bucks cage match. But then also, like, you know, just bring it down a notch. Have a wild fight, you know? Like, have a wrestling clinic. Have great tag team match. Like... The variety is the spice of life, is it not? So, I get JR saying you don't need to take all these chances. And at the end of the day, you probably shouldn't, for the most part. Or pick and choose them at best. But I want to see it on every show, and I think a lot of people do. I don't want to see it the whole show. But it has its place on the card, and, and people have been doing it to get themselves over for a long time now and that's not going to change you know people are going to take risks they're going to see you know what 
heights they can elevate things to. But at the end of the day, it's all subjective. What do you like in wrestling and how wrestling should be done? And what's your style? And, and how do you want to be presented? Thank you guys for checking out the show. Thank you guys for not canceling me. I appreciate that. I think I'm just too small to be canceled anyway. If I was big enough, I would have been canceled episodes ago, you know. But uh, we keep rolling. Keep telling it how it is, or at least how I see it. I'm just one man. It's just one man's opinions. Follow me on Twitter. I post stuff there. I post stuff on Facebook, too, here and there. You can follow me at Seth Grimes Media. That's me. I'm Seth Grimes. You can also follow the brand at WrestleMedia. That's also the YouTube channel, WrestleMedia. That's where we post up all the full episodes of this podcast as well as clips of this podcast. I'm toying around with the idea of recording this uh, live on video and doing like uh, maybe eventually like a live stream of some kind of just me recording the pod. What do you guys think of that? Not sure. Uh, Working on an NFT project. Those of you who are into the crypto world and into NFTs, it's going to be a small portion of you, but some of you might have heard about it by now. Working on a project there. Uh, Project's coming along great. I should have uh, news on that very soon. I'll just have a little, little drop ski to tell you about, so stay tuned for that. We're just We're doing things here. We're doing things here at the Pro Wrestling Podcast podcast, and we're just trying to make content for you and make you happy. That's it for now. That's all I got. Check me out each and every week on the Pro Wrestling Podcast podcast.